Welcome to NTD News Today. Here's today's top stories. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky will be visiting Washington, D.C. tomorrow. He's set to meet with President Biden. Will there be articles of impeachment against President Biden? A Republican congressman is suggesting when they could be drafted. Former President Trump says he won't testify again in the New York civil fraud case. Hear what Trump says about his previous testimony and the case against him. As Human Rights Day marks its 75th anniversary, calls sound out for those left behind shining a light on the horrific forced organ harvesting in China. What one doctor says is key in defeating the purpose of the Chinese regime's persecution. And Argentina is heading into this week with a new president. Tens of thousands took to the streets on Sunday to celebrate the inauguration of their new leader. NTD's Arian Pazdar was in Buenos Aires. This is NTD News Today, live from our NTD Global Headquarters. Here are Stephania Cox and Chris Beers. Articles of impeachment against President Biden could come in as early as the spring. That's what Republican Congressman Byron Donalds, who sits on the Oversight Committee, said in an interview with Fox News on Sunday. Well, what I see happening is that over the next month or two, we're going to finish our investigation. I do believe at that point it's going to be crystal clear that there are articles of impeachment that should be drafted for Joe Biden. Donald said he expects House Republicans to vote for the impeachment inquiry into Biden this week and that Biden's involvement in his family business is enough to draft articles of impeachment. The president's son, Hunter Biden, is subpoenaed for a closed-door congressional testimony this Wednesday. But he's threatening to do only do public testimonies. Donald's commented, saying Hunter is trying to, quote, put on a spectacle. Are the latest charges against Hunter Biden justified? Democratic Senator Chris Murphy of Connecticut said he thinks they are legally justified and not politically motivated. Last week, a grand jury indicated, indicted Hunter Biden with nine counts of tax-related charges. The senator added he believes the American public will not hold the alleged misdeeds of Hunter Biden against the president. Hear what Murphy said during an interview with NBC News on Sunday. I think it's legally justified. I think this is a very troubled individual who has uh, who, who has uh, done things that are worthy of prosecution. And so I look forward to that case continuing. Former President Trump says he will no longer testify in the civil fraud case against him in New York. Trump was expected to testify for a second time today in his own defense after prosecutors questioned him last month. In a Truth Social post yesterday, Trump said he had already provided successful testimony. He again denied any wrongdoing and called the trial election interference. He accused the attorney general of having no case. New York Attorney General Letitia James is seeking $250 million in damages and wants to bar Trump from doing business in the state. A pretrial ruling already found Trump liable for fraud. The trial will determine the penalties that Trump will need to pay. Trump's defense has been presenting its case with the help of outside experts. The latest expert witness is NYU accounting professor Eli Bartov. He will continue testifying through Tuesday. For analysis of Trump's refusal to testify today, we're joined live by former federal prosecutor and Republican attorney general candidate for Missouri, Will Scharf. Thank you for joining us, Will. What's the significance of this latest move by Trump in the New York civil fraud trial? 
Look, I, I think that everybody who's watched that trial closely has seen the attorney general's case just completely unravel over the last few weeks. The idea that there was any fraud here, the idea certainly that there was any uh, culpable fraud here uh, has just been disproven over and over and over again. President Trump already testified in this case. I think the idea that he had to go back in and give them another round of cross-examination to seal the deal uh, just didn't really make a lot of sense. So given how open and shut the case is, I think to not put President Trump back on the stand uh, makes an awful lot of sense. And why do you think Trump himself reversed course and decided not to testify after all? You know, I think that as the evidence has come in in this case, it's just become increasingly clear that Tish James and the New York AG's office just doesn't have a case. So if I'm President Trump, do I really want to go back on the stand? Do I want to spend hours under cross-examination, uh, give the attorney general's office another, uh, another bite at the apple, essentially? Uh, or do I just stand on the facts that have already entered, the, uh, which from his perspective are, are wildly positive, and show conclusively that there was no fraud here. Now, Will, Trump's attorney, Alina Habba, said she advised him not to testify because of his gag order. How does the gag order factor into all this? Yeah, so there are two gag orders currently imposed against President Trump, one in this New York case, uh, another in the ongoing D.C. Uh, criminal litigation that's, uh, that, that he has as well. Uh, the New York gag order is limited to preventing President Trump or his lawyers uh, from discussing court L. Uh, that would include uh, Judge Angor, law clerks, uh, his court staff. Um, I think that any time you have a gag order like that in place, and I should add that I believe that both gag orders are wildly unconstitutional prior restraints on core political speech of President Trump, but any have a gag order like that in place, especially in front of a hostile judge like Judge Angoron, uh, testifying or really any public statements uh, introduce additional risk. So uh, if that's the reason why yeah. President Trump chose not to testify, I think there's uh, that's a sound reason. I think it makes sense. Uh, but I would just emphasize again that uh, it well, is really unprecedented in American history for a presidential candidate to be subjected to the sorts of limits on his, uh, that President Trump has been sub to. I think it's outrageous. And hopefully both of those gag orders will be overturned in due course. Well, let's turn to Hunter Biden. He was recently indicted on nine counts. Um, you said you've been following his case for years. As a former federal prosecutor, what do you make of this latest indictment? I think I lost action there for a second. I'm very sorry. Could you repeat the question? That's okay. As a former federal prosecutor, what do you make of this latest indictment of Hunter Biden, just switching gears a little bit here. Yeah, uh, Hunter Biden's in a lot of trouble. Uh, his previous sweetheart plea deal in Delaware fell apart in open court, and now he's been indicted for nine very serious uh, of tax evasion, of failing to pay taxes, of failing to file tax returns. Uh, Hunter's in a lot of trouble. He could be facing years of time in, in federalism, uh, and it's going to be very interesting to see how that case develops. Uh, what I'm watching for more than anything else, though, is whether special counsel Weiss now pursues further charges or further cases against Hunter Biden. For example, will Hunter be indicted uh, for being an unregistered foreign agent of the Chinese government? Will Hunter be indicted uh, for money laundering or for any 
very serious charge uh, that the evidence yeah. would support uh, seemingly in his case. Uh, that will be the true test to whether this prosecution is being conducted uh, without undue political influence from the highest levels of the Biden administration. And Will, in this, in this case with Hunter Biden, um, the special counsel here, David Weiss, came under fire for crafting what has been called a sweetheart plea deal back in July. What do you make of the way Weiss has handled this case now after um, this latest indictment? So it's very interesting. When Weiss was acting as a U.S. attorney in Delaware, Unvision uh, Ireland and acting through the normal hierarchy uh, of the Department of Justice, as you said, he crafted a completely unprecedented sweetheart plea deal for Hunter that would have hit him uh, really from any criminal prosecution years and years of criminal in return for just a minor slap on the wrist. As soon as Weiss was designated as a special, at least some degree of independence uh, from the North DOJ hierarchy, he's been incredibly aggressive Hunter, uh, indicting him on three federal firearms, now indicting him on nine felony tax charges. Uh, it does show, I believe, uh, the level of political pressure uh, that, that Weiss was previously under Will, the Department of Justice. Sorry to cut you off, Will. Uh, former, former federal prosecutor and Republican Attorney General candidate Will Scharf, thank you so much. Now to the Republicans in the presidential race. Former President Trump is addressing Democrats' stance that he is a threat to democracy. But no, I'm not a threat. I will save democracy. The threat is crooked Joe Biden. That's the threat. And they think that the threat to democracy, and that's what it is, it's a hoax. It's a new, we call it now, the threat to democracy hoax. Because that's what it is. These guys are so good with misinformation, Disinformation. Trump was speaking at the New York Young Republican Club's annual gala on Saturday. During the speech, he also addressed his New York civil fraud trial, calling it ridiculous. The former president also expressed hope that he could win deep blue states. He told the audience, this is a place that can be won. We're taking in numbers that nobody's ever seen before. Other Republican candidates in the race also busy campaigning over the weekend. Ron DeSantis, Nikki Haley, and Vivek Ramaswamy were in Iowa on Saturday. They were trying to make their case to voters ahead of the Iowa caucuses next year. All three candidates spoke on stage at Dort University in Sioux Center, Iowa. I will get the job done next November like I did in Florida. As a leader, I'll always conduct myself in a way that you can be proud of. And as a president, You'll be able to count on me. I will not let you down. I'm not going to be the person who tells you it's morning in America because it's not. But I think it can be. And I think it's going to take a leader who both sees the present hour for what it is. The hour is late, but it's not done yet. And I think with that, I do think that our nation's best days for the next generation can still be ahead of us. And so there's chaos all around us, but what I know is you don't defeat Democrat chaos with Republican chaos. And that's what Donald Trump gives us, rightly or wrongly. I had, I'm a, I strongly believe that Donald Trump was the right president at the right time. But Trump still has a huge lead in Iowa. That's according to the latest NBC News Des Moines Register Mediacom poll. 
The former president is polling at 51% among likely Iowa caucus goers. NBC says it's the largest lead recorded in the history of the Iowa poll while being close to a competitive GOP caucus. And he's widening the gap with other Republican candidates. DeSantis is in second place at 19%, while Haley is at 16%. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky will be visiting the U.S. tomorrow. He'll be in Washington, D.C., meeting with both President Biden and Congress, including House Speaker Mike Johnson. Tomorrow and the day after tomorrow, I will be in Washington with my team. We have meetings and negotiations scheduled, President Biden, Congress, important matters. Every day, every hour, we utilize to give more to Ukraine, to our people. More opportunities, more protection, more strength. Zelensky's visit will come as Congress fights over an aid package for Ukraine. Republicans are refusing to vote for the package unless it also addresses the crisis at the southern border. Democratic Senator Chris Murphy plays a major role in the negotiations in the upper chamber. He told NBC News on Sunday that the White House will step up its push for Congress to pass this package. Coming up, Tennessee is assessing damage after storms and tornadoes killed at least six people. The mayor of Nashville calls it heartbreaking how locals are recovering. And the American Civil Liberties Union will represent an unlikely client as the Supreme Court hears the First Amendment case. More in just a moment here on NTD News Today. Officials in Tennessee are assessing the damage after tornadoes and strong storms tore across the state on Saturday. The storms killed at least six people and injured 50 more. Multiple buildings were destroyed. Here's the story. Severe storms and tornadoes in Tennessee killed at least six people over the weekend and left a trail of destruction. One tornado was caught on video by an eyewitness as it moved over Madison, Tennessee, causing electrical flashes and an explosion. Oh my God. Video from Clarksville, one of the hardest hit areas, showed wrecked buildings and debris scattered along the road as slow moving traffic drove by. I hope nobody was in those houses. Officials said three people, including a child, were killed in Montgomery County, where Clarksville is located and 23 people were being treated at the hospital. Three more deaths were reported in the suburbs of Nashville, according to the city's Office of Emergency Management. Police said a toddler was one of the three victims in the Nashville area. Heartbreaking day. Nashville Mayor Freddie O'Connell said emergency crews were still working to restore power. We have been working very closely with Nashville Electric Service. They are still trying to restore power to 26,000 Nashvillians. Their crews have been working around the clock uh, to get impacted Nashvillians back online as quickly as they can. In total so far, our responders have identified 22 structures that have collapsed as a result of the storm, and countless others have sustained significant damage. More than 40,000 people in Tennessee were left without power as of Sunday morning, according to the website poweroutage.us. The ACLU will represent the National Rifle Association in a free speech case. In 2018, the NRA brought a lawsuit against the former superintendent of the New York Department of Financial Services. 
The NRA alleges the official pressured financial institutions not to do business with the gun rights group. The organization says the department heads actions violate the First Amendment. The lawsuit ac accuses the superintendent of warning banks that working with the NRA exposed them to reputational risk. The suit also alleges she offered leniency to insurers in return for dropping the group as a client. The ACLU says it doesn't support the NRA's mission. It agreed to represent the gun rights advocate because it opposes government suppression of free speech. A suspect in the murder of a high school cheerleader in Texas has been arrested. The 16-year-old was found dead in her apartment on December 5th. Edna police caught the suspect over the weekend. 23-year-old Rafael Govia Romero is accused of killing Lisbeth Medina. The alleged illegal immigrant was located Saturday in a town about 75 miles away. Romero faces a charge of capital murder in Texas. Capital murder involves specific abrogating circumstances. A conviction carries a sentence of life in prison without parole or the death penalty. And a call to action on the 75th anniversary of Human Rights Day. Yesterday's historic milestone commemorates the adoption of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. The UN declaration was made to prevent crimes against humanity after the atrocities and holocaust of World War II. Doctors and experts over the weekend sounded the alarm over failures to put principles into action in countries like China, specifically stopping the Chinese Communist Party's forced organ harvesting of prisoners of conscience. The group Doctors Against Forced Organ Harvesting is asking more people to speak out. NTD's Jeremy Sandberg has more on the call to break the silence. Washington-based medical ethics advocacy group Doctors Against Forced Organ Harvesting hosted an international roundtable Sunday to focus on challenges putting the principles of universal human rights into action and the horrific crimes of the CCP. All nations and individuals have to reckon with the realities of the Holocaust. And the Universal Declaration of Human Rights represented the gap between a humanitarian ideal and living up to it on the ground. 75 years after the declaration, the panel suggests the international community pause and reflect on who's had their rights trampled on and who's been left behind. Executive director of the group Dr. Torsten Trey told NTD it's important to understand that the CCP's forced organ harvesting is not about organ trafficking, it's about killing people to harvest their organs. And that's a phenomenon that we only have seen in China. Trey says organ transplants in China spiked exponentially after 1999 when the persecution of Falun Gong started. Chinese authorities estimated at the time that up to 100 million people were practicing Falun Gong, also known as Falun Dafa. But it was actually only in 2006 when we learned from whistleblowers that uh, the prisoners of conscience, Falun Gong practitioners, were the main source of, uh, for, for forced organ harvesting. Since then, Trey says the CCP has tried to suppress and destroy Falun Gong, with forced organ harvesting and persecution being the regime's ultimate solution. He says the CCP has built a sophisticated network of influence to cover its crimes and uses blatant economic pressure and political threats, along with propaganda, to spread a false representation of what Falun Gong is. They practice uh, Buddhist Qigong and they follow the principles of uh, truthfulness, compassion and forbearance. The doctor says the best thing to do to have an impact is simply break the silence. So if everyone takes a moment to understand what Falun Gong is about, that Falun Gong is about truthfulness, compassion, forbearance, things that we could uh, use very well in these times, 
if we learn about this and then speak about it and also understand about the forced organ harvesting and speak about the forced organ harvesting, we basically lift the concealed eradication to the daylight and thus defeat the purpose. An independent People's Tribunal in London concluded in 2019 that forced organ harvesting in China has taken place on a significant scale for years, with detained Falun Gong practitioners as the primary source. The persecution in China continues today. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. Coming up, Javier Malay hails a new era during his inauguration. But can Argentina's new president bring significant change to the country? NTD's Arian Pazdar spoke with an expert in Buenos Aires. And Moscow claims any ceasefire talks depend on Ukraine, while accusing the West of trying to exhaust Russia. What did the country's foreign minister say? We'll have the details soon when we return. Javier Malay is the officially the new president of Argentina. Some describe him as the Argentine version of former President Trump. The Economist takes over the role as Argentina's as Argentines battling extreme inflation. In his inauguration speech on Sunday, Malay warned he's planning shock therapy to fix the economy. Shortly after, he dismantled half of all government agencies in Argentina. However, the shock hasn't kicked in yet, and more measures will be announced tomorrow. NTD's Arian Pastar was at the inauguration in Argentina on Sunday. Around a million people were expected to be here in Buenos Aires, Argentina today to watch the inauguration of Argentina's new president, Javier Milei. Now, I spoke to some of these supporters and they tell me they have high hopes and expectations for their next leader. Take a look. Generations of corrupt politicians have been robbing from the people of Argentina. But Javier Millet brings us a new promise. He brings us happiness. Self-described capitalist Javier Millet won the election with almost 56% of the vote. His opponent had just over 44%. This is the widest margin of victory in a presidential race since Argentina's return to democracy in 1983. I want us to be clear. We are going to begin the rebuilding of Argentina after more than a hundred years of decadence, but we must embrace the ideas of freedom. While we will have to endure a period of hardship, we will get through. There is no night that has not been defeated by the day. Before winning the election, Millet proposed radical ways to rebuild Argentina. For example, cutting government spending by abolishing certain agencies. This comes as Argentina is battling extreme inflation, affecting millions of people, as you can see in this graph. This Miele supporter put the graph into perspective. The U.S. currently has 7% inflation over an entire year. We have 12% in a single month. Our salaries don't keep up with this inflation. So all of a sudden, you realize that the things you were able to buy before, you just can't afford anymore. Miele has promised to combat inflation. That's by cutting government spending, abolishing the country's central bank, being more open to using the U.S. dollar and more. Arian Pastar, NTD News. Hopes are high, but questions remain. Can Javier Malay bring significant change to Argentina? NTD's Arian Pazdar spoke with Daniel Sabse while in Buenos Aires. He's a constitutional lawyer and former president of the Argentine Association of Constitutional Law. 
I think that it won't be easy, but anyway, his, I think that his purposes are very important, and we can change the re regime, in fact, and to switch from a populist regime to a popular liberal regime. Congress is a big part, of course, so, right? Do you sure. think Congress would be behind Miele's ideas? Well, I hope so, because you know that he has, uh, he got an extraordinarily popular vote, but at the same time, he has very few legislators in both chambers, the Senate and uh, the Chamber of Deputies, representatives for the United States. So he will need to make many alliances. I think that at the beginning, at least in the first year, he will get the support because uh, particularly most Peronists know what uh, people want and so they don't want to go against this will. Of course Argentina was invited to join yeah. BRICS which contains countries like Russia and China. Russia of course has a war going on in Ukraine while China is very close to Hamas. They have very strong ties. Now Miele is probably taking the exact other way, you know, being close to the United States, being close to Israel. Mm. So how can he swing to Ukraine? And to Ukraine, exactly, not joining the Russia and China side. So how can his swing affect the geopolitical situation overall and maybe specifically these conflicts you're seeing right now? Well, this is going to change completely. It's the first time, you know, that the Ukrainian president, Volodymyr Zelensky, now is in Argentina. It's the first time he comes to a Latin American country. And that is very important to him and to the United States, because most uh, Latin American countries were for Putin, very close to Putin. So for him to come for the first time in Latin America, where he hasn't been supported, is very, very important, I think. Dennis, I'll say thank you yeah, so much. Yeah. And heading to Europe, we have some short headlines from the UK, Germany and other countries. Much is at stake at a summit this week that will shape the future of Ukraine. European Union leaders will be making two big decisions, whether to begin negotiations to let Ukraine join and whether to give Ukraine over $50 billion of economic support. The timing is key with doubts arising about future support from the US. Hungary has threatened to veto both the aid and the talks. Ukraine's foreign minister is seeking a green light from EU leaders for its accession talks. He said it would be devastating for both Kyiv and the EU if they don't support Ukraine's bid. I think stakes are very high for both Ukraine and the European Union. Also for the European Union, it will, be, it will send a message across the continent uh, into the area of enlargement, but also beyond that area, that the European Union is unable to make decisions of historic nature and keep its promises. But I hope that the European unity will not be broken, because this is not the moment to weaken our support to Ukraine. Just the contrary, this is the moment to increase it. Russia's foreign minister says the West is trying to exhaust Russia in Ukraine. On Sunday, Sergei Lavrov also said that a potential ceasefire would depend on Ukraine's president, Vladimir Zelensky. Lavrov referenced a decree Zelensky signed a year and a half ago. It prohibits talks with Russian President Vladimir Putin. Lavrov said they were close to a ceasefire at the time, but because of the West's support for Ukraine, it didn't happen. He accused the U.S. and U.K. of wanting to prolong the conflict.
France, Germany and Italy are calling on the European Union for special sanctions against Hamas. The EU already considers Hamas a terrorist organization. That means any funds or assets the group has in the 27-nation bloc would be frozen. The EU said on Friday that it sanctioned a Hamas commander and his deputy. A political body is also considering adding Hamas Gaza leader Yahya Sinwa to the list. Israelis accused of violence against Palestinians in the West Bank would be subject to EU-wide travel bans. Diplomats said it would be hard to achieve the unanimous decision necessary to impose such a measure. And thousands of demonstrators gathered in Brussels on Sunday to protest against anti-Semitism. Belgium's Jewish community is concerned over the rise of hate since the October 7th Hamas terror attacks on Israel. Police estimated the numbers of protesters at around 4,000. Several thousand people demonstrated against anti-Semitism in Berlin as well. The protest was named Never Again Is Now. Germany is also grappling with a large increase in anti-Jewish incidents since October 7th. Over 3,000 gathered in the rain in the German capital. Organizers estimated 10,000 showed up. Sweden's prime minister is demanding the immediate release of a Swedish citizen from an Iranian prison. Johan Floderus was arrested in Iran in 2022. He was employed by the European Union. Iran said on Sunday his trial had started. The Swedish national is charged with spying for Israel and, quote, corruption on earth. In 2019, Sweden arrested a former Iranian official. He was convicted on charges of torture and executions of political prisoners in Iran in the 1980s. Floderus could face the death penalty. British Prime Minister Rishi Sunak said he's deeply sorry to COVID-19 victims. The country is assessing its response to the pandemic, which claimed over 230,000 lives in the country. Testimony said that government infighting and incompetence under former Prime Minister Boris Johnson led to a lack of decisive action. Sunak defended the government's response, refuting claims that it was dysfunctional. He argued that vigorous debates can be seen as a constructive as aspect of the crisis response. The Prime Minister acknowledged the devastating impact of the pandemic, saying he hopes the country can learn lessons from it. I just wanted to start by saying how deeply sorry I am to all of those who lost loved ones, family members through the pandemic, and also all those who suffered uh, in the various different ways throughout the pandemic and as a result of the actions were taken. Spanish police arrested a suspected leader of the world's most prominent hacker group. The suspect, not named by police, is accused of data breaching, hacking and money laundering through cryptocurrency. The hacker group known as Kelvin Security is allegedly linked to over 300 attacks in over 90 countries during the last three years. Europe is on the brink of finalizing rules to govern artificial intelligence. Negotiators are hammering out the final details, but they may not reach an agreement in time. NTD's Andrew Thomas has more on the potential policies. The European Union's AI Act is the world's first comprehensive set of AI regulations. First suggested in 2019, the legislation would make the 27-nation bloc a global leader on the issue. Our number one priority is to ensure AI develops in a human-centric, transparent, and responsible way. And this is why in my political guidelines I committed to setting out a legislative approach in the first 100 days. 
but the process has been bogged down over how to govern AI services such as ChatGPT. Generative AI wasn't in the picture when the rules were drafted a few years ago. Big Tech says overregulation stifles innovation. The original AI Act, when it was proposed, was not really set up to deal with these kind of models. So there's a lot of divergence uh, regarding how these kind of models should be regulated, or indeed whether they should be regulated at all. France, Germany and Italy are resisting. The EU's three largest economies are pushing back and advocating for self-regulation. Meanwhile, the US and China have started to adopt their own rules. The EU is facing one of its last chances to reach a deal. If they do, the bloc's 705 lawmakers still must sign off on it. Until relatively recently, there seemed to be a consensus that there would be some uh, additional obligations on these uh, foundation model developers like OpenAI and Anthropic and DeepMind. Another sticking point is real-time facial recognition. Countries want to use it to identify threats, but rights groups are pushing for a complete ban on the tech. The vote would need to happen by April, before election campaigns across Europe begin in June. The law wouldn't be in effect before a transition period, typically two years. If they can't vote in time, the legislation will be put on hold until later next year. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Coming up, vets are looking into a mysterious dog disease that's spreading across the U.S. What signs to look for in your pets? We hear more from some experts. And a sanctuary in Argentina is now home to abused and abandoned horses, some with brutal backstories. We have more on the Let's Dream of Hope project here on NTD News Today. Returning now to two high-profile cases, Trump's New York civil fraud trial and Hunter Biden's recent indictment. We have live with us today former New York assistant district attorney, former chair of the D.C. Democratic Party and political and legal analyst A. Scott Bolden. Scott, regarding Trump's New York, New York case, what implications do you foresee from his decision not to testify today? How might this affect the trajectory of the case? I don't think it's going to have much trajectory effect at all. Uh, Donald Trump is right. He doesn't have anything else to offer, but that's not good for his defense because the, cut, the judge has found that he's been, he and his sons committed fraud already. Uh, what he would add to the case as the final witness would just be the pile on and add on that he didn't have any fraudulent intent in how he put these documents together, the evaluations. He would argue that the banks didn't rely on it because of the catch-all phrase and so forth and so on. But at the same time, his last testimony didn't go well because he mixed it up with the judge. And the judge and the prosecutor that he attacked while he was on the stand are the very ones that are going to be making decisions as to whether how liable he's going to be up to $350 million. And so it's not good to attack the judge or the prosecution if they're going to ultimately be asking for exposure or liability claims and damages. And, and they're the ones making the decisions, not a good that, strategy. On that note, Scott, you know, relating to the current gag order that's in place for Trump, we spoke earlier in this hour with Will Scharf, the a former federal prosecutor, who his opinion was that the gag order on Trump uh, is unconstitutional and that it imposes extra risk in Trump giving another testimony. What do you say to that? 
Well, as long as he doesn't attack the judge or the court personnel, then, and he sticks to answering the questions, then the gag order will be irrelevant to his testimony inside or outside the courtroom. Now, a gag order is very restrictive. He's got a First Amendment right. Judges and, and courts of appeals are reluctant to sign off on a gag order and to uphold them. But in this case, that was a direct attack on the administration of civil justice. And you simply can't have witnesses with a following like Donald Trump, who's running for president, and, and who have members who support him or his, his constituents who, who have engaged from time to time in threats or even political violence. If you look at January 6th, so it's a very dangerous precedent. So I don't think it's unconstitutional. I think it's necessary. Okay, now I want to turn to recent developments in Hunter Biden's recent indictments. Uh, they're sparking political and, and public debate, obviously. What do you think about the severity of the charges and how they could impact Hunter Biden going forward? Well, anytime you're facing jail time up to 17 years, it's pretty serious. Anytime your liberty is at stake. Here, you know, the Republicans talk about uh, two levels of justice or two different forms of justice. I got to tell you, Hunter Biden is a walking case for it in the sense that he had a deal for no jail time. He was going to take a plea to a misdemeanor. And now he's facing, uh, I think, seven or nine felony charges where basically he's being charged with not paying his taxes. It's not illegal not to pay your taxes. What's illegal is if you have a criminal intent to not pay your taxes. And the nine-page indictment uh, sheet, or however long it is, kind of lays out a pretty significant lifestyle that monies he spent on women and luxury goods as opposed to paying taxes on $1.4 million. It's a pretty strong case against him, but he's paid those taxes, and his argument's going to be that if his name wasn't Biden, he wouldn't be prosecuted by DOJ. We'll have to see, but it's a pretty strong case against him. So, Scott, considering President Biden is running for president again, and in his last run, he said that his son had nothing to do with China, didn't get money from China or make a fortune from China. How do you think these statements and this indictment could impact President Biden's campaign? Well, I think they're mutually exclusive. And from a legal standpoint, it shouldn't have any impact because Hunter Biden's name is Hunter Biden. And Joe Biden's name is Joe Biden. He happens to be president of the United States. Now, politically, then, given uh, Donald Trump, who's probably going to be the GOP nominee and running against Joe Biden, the Republicans are going to try to make that link, if you will, to the family businesses and, and Joe Biden benefiting from family businesses because Hunter Biden did get paid $1.4 million for doing consulting work for some of these foreign companies. Uh, his dad... Uh, had a, had some conversations with those entities, but here again, whether you and th th there's no uh, no no um, no criminal conduct right. here, no probable cause to believe that Joe Biden engaged in any crowd conduct, even if he benefited from some of those relationships. All right, thank you so much, Ace Scott President. Bolden. Great to speak with you. Thank you. Okay, thanks. A sanctuary in Argentina has become home to abused and abandoned horses. It's called Let's Dream of Hope. It was founded by a prosecutor turned horse rescuer in 2018. And the horses here often have brutal backstories. The goal of the sanctuary is to believe and give a place to horses that don't qualify to be given up for adoption. I'm an option for these old horses or horses with disabilities, amputated horses, one-eyed horses that nobody wants to take for adoption. 
They stay with me from the moment they arrive until they pass. A week ago, Baco came in. They were rescued from the Buenos Aires suburbs, like many others, except Esperanza or Guerrero, who came from the capital city. Baco used to pull a cart. The horse was completely malnourished, and from exhaustion, they ended up falling into a ditch. As they couldn't wake up, the alleged owners hit them and broke their spine. This is the injury Baco has today, and we are waiting to follow up with the health plan. In this 120-acre refuge in Buenos Aires, Lorena Melatonin provides enclosures, stables, and open fields for rescued horses with brutal backgrounds. Some have endured amputations, eye loss, and other injuries, as you just heard, due to mistreatment. Despite the challenging nature of her day job, Melatonin looks forward to seeing her horses each weekend. Her sanctuary depends on public donations to keep going. She hopes to raise awareness about animal cruelty. And a mystery disease is making dogs sick across the United States. It is, is it deadly or contagious to humans? We hear from some experts. There's a mystery illness popping up across the United States in dogs. Symptoms include coughing, which can last four to six weeks. Cough, lethargy, um, sometimes they'll like hack up a little bit of foam, uh, exercise intolerance, sometimes decreased appetite. And it can be fatal, though vets like Matthew Goss say there's no need to worry too much. No real need to panic. It's not something that's going to take a dog's life like that. It's going to be something that if you're going to notice they're getting worse, you should have at least have time to get checked out, get medications on board. It's been found in at least 14 states already, with Oregon reporting some 200 cases. And the American Veterinary Medical Association is now asking vets to report cases while laboratories race to isolate the pathogen. It appears to be potentially an atypical course of our, our respiratory disease in dogs. And that's what has us most alarmed, is the uh, typical course. We're used to that, but these cases tend to be testing negative to our normal uh, agents that cause the disease and have a really prolonged course of the disease, up to four to six weeks. That's Rena Carlson, the association's president, who says researchers are still trying to figure out if the disease is viral or bacterial. One possibility, it could be a variant of a well-understood canine disease dog owners may know as kennel cough. Some acute cases have quickly become pneumonia within 24 to 36 hours, according to the association. The disease has already been reported for months. So far, there are no signs it's jumping to humans. Still, Carlson is urging caution. Make sure you've got them vaccinated for our known diseases. The better they can fight off our typical diseases, the better they'll be able to fight off anything new. Ahead of the holiday season, vets are also warning dog owners to take extra care to prevent any spreading at a time when people often take pets traveling or place them in kennels when they go away. Europeans are dressing up as Santa for Christmas runs. Let's take a look at two unique events from the weekend. In Germany, nearly 1,000 runners donned Santa suits for the country's biggest costume run. The Santas in training are from the northern city of Mischendorf. The event celebrated Christmas spirit with carol singing and mulled wine stands along the way. 
Some of the runners have been attending for several years. They can choose between various routes ranging from less than a mile to six miles. The event is popular with different fitness levels as well as the young and young at heart. If you have any news tips or feedback for the show, please feel free to email us at news.today at ntd.com. Welcome to NTD News Today. Here are today's top stories. Rudy Giuliani in court over a civil defamation case about the Georgia elections. What he has to say about the trial. Will there be articles of impeachment against President Biden? A Republican congressman is suggesting when they could be drafted. Congress has a new Rumble channel where you can see January 6th security video. And we speak with prisoner Jake Lang, who's waiting to find out after more than a thousand days without a trial if the Supreme Court will hear his case. A major topic absent from all four GOP debates. Find out what it is and why a critic of the U.S. pandemic response says it's been left out of public discourse. And in baseball news, what did the Shohei Otani signing in Los Angeles have to do with Toronto becoming the World Series betting favorites? This is NTD News Today, live from our NTD Global Headquarters. Here are Stephania Cox and Chris Beers. Former New York City mayor and Trump lawyer Rudy Giuliani appeared in a Washington, D.C. court today. He's there for a civil defamation case over his claims about fraud in the 2020 election. Two Georgia election workers sued Giuliani for defamation. This is after he accused them of working to rig the 2020 presidential election against Trump. A federal judge has already determined that Giuliani is liable for defamation. The only question for the jury is how much Giuliani will owe in damages. The two election workers are expected to testify at the trial, which is due to conclude this week. Giuliani also may take the stand as a witness. Arriving at the courthouse, Giuliani said the election workers committed fraud and that they're continuing in a cover-up. Articles of impeachment against President Biden could come in as early as the spring. That's what Republican Congressman Byron Donalds, who sits on the Oversight Committee, said in an interview with Fox News on Sunday. Well, what I see happening is that over the next month or two, we're going to finish our investigation. I do believe at that point it's going to be crystal clear that there are articles of impeachment that should be drafted for Joe Biden. Donald said he expects House Republicans to vote for the impeachment inquiry into Biden this week and that Biden's involvement in his family's business is enough to draft articles of impeachment. The president's son, Hunter Biden, is subpoenaed for a closed-door congressional testimony this Wednesday. But he's threatening to only do public testimonies. Donald's commented, saying Hunter is trying to, quote, put on a spectacle. Are the latest charges against Hunter Biden justified? Democratic Senator Chris Murphy of Connecticut said he thinks they are legally justified and not politically motivated. Last week, a grand jury indicted Hunter Biden with nine counts of tax-related charges. The senator added he believes the American public will not hold the alleged misdeeds of Hunter Biden against the president. Hear what Murphy said during an interview with NBC News on Sunday. I think it's legally justified. I think this is a very troubled individual who has uh, who, who has uh, done things that are worthy of prosecution. And so I look forward to that case continuing. Now to the Republicans in the 
presidential race. Former President Trump is addressing Democrats' stance that he's a threat to democracy. But no, I'm not a threat. I will save democracy. The threat is crooked Joe Biden. That's the threat. And they think that the threat to democracy, and that's what it is, it's a hoax. It's a new, we call it now, the threat to democracy hoax. Because that's what it is. These guys are so good with misinformation, disinformation. Trump is speaking in the New York Young Republican Club's annual gala on Saturday. During the speech, he also addressed his New York civil fraud trial, calling it ridiculous. The former president also expressed hope that he could win deep blue states. He told the audience this is a place that can be won. We're taking in numbers that nobody's ever seen before. Other Republican candidates in the race also busy campaigning over the weekend. Ron DeSantis, Nikki Haley and Vivek Ramaswamy were in Iowa on Saturday. They were trying to make their case to voters ahead of the Iowa caucuses next year. All three candidates spoke on stage at Dort University in Sioux Center, Iowa. I will get the job done next November like I did in Florida. As a leader, I'll always conduct myself in a way that you can be proud of. And as a president, you'll be able to count on me. I will not let you down. I'm not going to be the person who tells you it's morning in America because it's not. But I think it can be. And I think it's going to take a leader who both sees the present hour for what it is. The hour is late, but it's not done yet. And I think with that, I do think that our nation's best days for the next generation can still be ahead of us. And so there's chaos all around us, but what I know is you don't defeat Democrat chaos with Republican chaos. And that's what Donald Trump gives us, rightly or wrongly. I had, I'm a, I strongly believe that Donald Trump was the right president at the right time. But Trump still has a huge lead in Iowa. That's according to the latest NBC News Des Moines Register Mediacom poll. The former president is polling at 51% among likely Iowa caucus goers. NBC says it's the largest lead rec recorded in the history of the Iowa poll while being close to a competitive GOP caucus. And he's widening the gap with other Republican candidates. DeSantis is in second place at 19% while Haley is at 16%. And former President Trump says he will no longer testify in the civil fraud case against him in New York. Trump was expected to testify for a second time today in his own defense after prosecutors questioned him last month. In a Truth Social post yesterday, Trump said he had already provided successful testimony. He again denied any wrongdoing and called the trial election interference. He accused the Attorney General of having no case. New York Attorney General Letitia James is seeking $250 million in damages and wants to bar Trump from doing business in the state. A pretrial ruling already found Trump liable for fraud. The trial will determine the penalties that Trump will need to pay. Trump's defense has been presenting its case with the help of outside experts. The last expert witness is NYU accounting professor Eli Bartov. He will continue testifying through Tuesday. And as more security footage from January 6th at the Capitol building gets released, you might be wondering how you can see some of it. Nearly 40 hours of more than 40,000 hours of Capitol Police security video have been released by the Committee on House Administration Subcommittee on Oversight since November 17th. And you can now watch it on the subcommittee's Rumble channel. Meanwhile, many January 6th prisoners await their trials, such as Jake Lang, now in jail for more than 1,000 days. 
some in solitary confinement and with no trial. The Supreme Court deliberated on Friday whether to hear his case. And that's also when we spoke via phone. Listen in. Jake, the public now has access to nearly 40 hours of footage from January 6th at the Capitol. Many people are hoping these tapes can shed more light on what took place and help Lady Justice survive through it. In your view, what's the significance of the content of the footage that's been released so far? So we're starting to see, uh, for the first time, the public at large, really, starting to see that January 6th uh, was a peaceful event, that the protesters had a peaceful disposition. And it was only through the Capitol Police actions in certain areas of the Capitol that we were pushed to defend our lives. And, um, I mean, unfortunately, four unarmed patriots lost their lives that day um, to the Capitol Police brutality. So I think the public's really waking up that the mainstream news media narrative and the January 6th Select Committee narrative are complete fabrications and they're lies. And January 6th was not an insurrection. And there's been contention over House Speaker Mike Johnson's decision to blur faces in the tapes released. They've said it's to prevent further legal action against people in the videos, which has been criticized on both sides. In what ways do you think this decision could impede or assist in safeguarding justice? Well, it's, this is a tricky one because, you know, we want to make sure that any bad actors, um, anybody that was there that day with nefarious uh, intentions, is definitely prosecuted so we can figure out are these people um, confidential human sources that were paid by our government, FBI informants that were there uh, purposely stirring up trouble. And so if we have, you know, blurred out faces, of course, we're not going to be able to get to that. But on the other side of the coin, I don't want any more of my fellow patriots, brothers and sisters, having to go through over a thousand days incarcerated like myself without a trial being tortured in solitary confinement. So it is a, a fine line, but if I were to say anything, I'd say release the tapes without the, the blur. Let's get to down to the truth of it. The American people deserve to know. As you mentioned, you've been held for more than a thousand days without a trial, and others, even in recent days, are being sentenced and arrested for their roles that day. How could the release and withholding of this footage impact these cases? Well, the biggest travesty of justice here, it's actually ridiculous, is that hundreds and hundreds of January, actually thousands of January Sixers have gone through the justice, uh, you know, you know, process here without the opportunity to have full discovery, full exculpatory evidence. We're just getting these 44,000 hours of video release. What about the 700 Jan Sixers had to take plea deals? What about the over 300 January Sixers had to go to trial without this evidence disposable for their legal defense to build a proper defense? I believe this is a clear path case of mistrial for all the people who have taken plea deals and have been found guilty so far and all the people have gone to trial. It's a travesty of justice. We needed these videotapes three years ago and we're just getting them now. Now the Supreme Court is considering whether to take up your case. You're saying the charges against you are unconstitutional. Could you explain that stance and what impact a Supreme Court ruling could have on yourself and other plaintiffs? Well, they need to watch out for who started it, right? Because in any single fight, even between one man and another man, uh, the one that's defending themselves is not legally, uh, you know, in, in jeopardy. And so they need to look out who started it. The Capitol Police were the ones that incited the violence that day. Many people are now describing it as a police riot. And that not only that, but it was purposely orchestrated that way by 
the puppet masters in Washington, D.C. in order to cover up the stolen election. So they need to look at what really went down that day and who had the most to gain. Follow the money, follow the power structure. The Democrats and their ilk had the most to gain that day. And be, be sure to look out for the Supreme Court hearing that's happening uh, Friday, December 8th, that we'll have an answer for on Monday when this airs. Jake Lang, January 6th prisoner, speaking to us from a D.C. jail. Thank you so much for your time. God bless you. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky will be visiting the U.S. tomorrow. He'll be in Washington, D.C., meeting with both President Biden and Congress, including House Speaker Mike Johnson. Tomorrow and the day after tomorrow, I will be in Washington with my team. We have meetings and negotiations scheduled. President Biden, Congress, important matters. Every day, every hour, we utilize to give more to Ukraine, to our people. More opportunities, more protection, more strength. Zelensky's visit will come as Congress fights over an aid package for Ukraine. Republicans are refusing to vote for the package unless it also addresses the crisis at the southern border. Democratic Senator Chris Murphy plays a major role in the negotiations in the upper chamber. He told NBC News on Sunday that the White House will step up its push for Congress to pass this package. And the ACLU will represent the National Rifle Association in a free speech case. In 2018, the NRA brought a lawsuit against the former superintendent of the New York Department of Financial Services. The NRA alleges the official pressured financial institutions not to do business with the gun rights group. The organization says the department head's actions violate the First Amendment. The lawsuit accuses the superintendent of warning banks that working with the NRA exposed them to reputational risk. The suit also alleges she offered leniency to, to insurers in return for dropping the group as a client. The ACLU says that it doesn't support the NRA's mission. It agreed to represent the gun rights advocate because it opposes government suppression of free speech. A suspect in the murder of a high school cheerleader in Texas has been arrested. The 16-year-old was found dead in her apartment on December 5th. Edna police caught the suspect over the weekend. 23-year-old Rafael Govia Romero is accused of killing Lisbeth Medina. The alleged illegal immigrant was located Saturday in a town about 75 miles away. Romero faces a charge of capital murder. In Texas, capital murder involves specific aggravating circumstances. A conviction carries a sentence of life in prison without parole or the death penalty. COVID vaccines absent from GOP debates. Both Republican and Democratic leaders are mum on this issue, so much so that it only came up for the first time in the fourth GOP debate. For a closer look at this lack of coverage, we speak with Jeffrey Tucker, founder and president of the Brownstone Institute and author of Liberty or Lockdown. Jeffrey Tucker, good to have you back on the show. What's the significance of this issue being brought up in a debate for the first time? I'm thrilled you're asking the question. Uh, it, it's the first time, as you said, uh, that it's been mentioned in four full debates. Um, a shot that that uh, hundreds of millions of Americans, you know, were were uh, were 
almost forced to get, many people were forced to get it. The Biden administration pushed for every single company to force all their employees to get it. And it was supposed to be the great inoculation against the great disease. It turned out it didn't protect against infection. It, it didn't protect against transmission. And the VAERS reports, which are the uh, adverse impacts of these vaccines, have been through the roof. We've never seen anything like it. And almost nothing is being done about it. The vaccine companies were indemnified against all liability for harms to the vaccine, which obviously disincentivizes them to make the drug safe and effective. So it's a scandal. And you would think that it would be a main subject of the debate because it really impacts a lot of Americans' lives in profound ways. And this is the first time that it came up. And it was thanks to Megyn Kelly, who herself is vaccine injured. She asked the question point blank, first of Vivek Ramaswamy and then of Ron DeSantis. And during the feed, the RNC feed, the Republican National Committee feed on Rumble, as soon as she asked the question, the screen went absolutely blank. Uh, for the first and only time during the whole debate. Now, they saying that, that they say it was a technical error and that might be true, but still it remains uh, the fact that the people that were watching that feed didn't get access to it. I finally did find the feed from New Nation, News Nation and I put it, the full transcript, which I transcribed myself, um, in an article for Epoch Times. And I think it was the very first time that uh, viewers got access to the full transcript of what happened. And like you're saying, this is the first time that this issue has been brought up in any debate, any of the four GOP debates. But yeah. how important do you think it is to voters? Uh, I think it's massively important. I, I could just tell you, know, it's, it's hard to document just how important it is. But I will say that in private conversations, and I run Brownstone Institute, we cover this issue extensively, uh, um, it's much more important than anybody's really letting on once you, uh, once you actually talk to people about it the stories of their own personal suffering and disappointment and sometimes uh, personal devastation from these shots is actually really compelling. In fact, it, it's, it's, it's a funny thing to say, but uh, sometimes the more important the issue, the less likely it is to be brought up. <laughs> <laughs> in in uh, the mainstream uh, media and even in these GOP uh, debates. Uh, there's another factor here, too, of course, is that both parties are implicated in this. Um, the Trump administration initiated Operation Warp Speed, gave the indemnification on March 13, 2020, uh, applied the emergency use authorization to bypass normal standards of the FDA. That policy was continued and intensified by the Biden administration together with mandates for transportation workers, healthcare workers, and all kinds of workers all over the country. The Supreme Court shot down the idea that they would apply to every company uh, in, in the country. But it was we were that close, this close, to becoming New Zealand in terms of universal mandates. New York City, uh, Boston, Chicago, New Orleans all shut down for a time. They shut down for a time to the unvaccinated workers so that you couldn't yeah. unvaccinate people were not allowed to go to libraries or theaters or, or, or bars or restaurants. Unbelievable this happened in this country. So yes, it's a big deal. And Jeffrey, I just want to come back to something you were saying before um, about how this has been you know, absent from public discourse. Why do you think that is? Um, I, I, 
um, I, I suspect it's it's that that the the entire the entire vaccine traces to very high levels of the U.S. government, and in fact, most of the information concerning where it came from, how it came about, how it was produced, how it got the EUAs, and everything else is currently listed as classified. We have very little access to what actually happened. So I'm sorry that the answer to your question sounds a little bit like a conspiracy theory, but you know, when you're presented with a conspiracy, <laughs> you, you just kind of have to name it. So yeah, I think it's, it's these are military classified secrets at this point, and that's why everybody is afraid to yeah. touch it. It's it's I'm, I'm sorry to give that answer, but that's the only answer I can really come up with. All right, Jeffrey Tucker, thank you so much for your time. Okay, such a pleasure. Coming up, dangerous encounters in the South China Sea. See what Chinese vessels did to Philippine vessels in disputed waters. And Australia is planning to cut immigrant numbers to deal with what the government called a broken system. Which group will be the most affected? We'll have the details soon when we return. with us now is NTD business host Don Ma to discuss how CVS is simplifying its drug pricing system. The CVS revamp may not actually help consumers much when it comes to prescription drug costs. Don, what's the situation here? Well, if you remember last week, I, I talked about how the revamp might help consumers. But I, I want to point out that we should have a reasonable level of expectations when it actually comes to lowering costs for uh, prescription um, drugs because um, CVS's new system, which uh, by the way is called uh, Cost Vantage, uh, it's not directly going to affect buying drugs at the counter for consumers because consumers are actually not directly involved in this uh, new system. Um, cost advantage is going to between CVS pharmacy and insurers uh, and middlemen, negotiators and uh, employers as well. And these middlemen are those who uh, re negotiate uh, rebates from drug manufacturers to insurers. Um, so, you know, even though uh, the model will reduce the cost of uh, most drugs, savings will be passed along first to the negotiators and the middlemen. Um, so it's, it's going to be up to them to decide how much they want to pass those savings along to the buyer uh, in the end. So, I mean, there has been controversy uh, when it comes to how much savings these negotiators actually pass on to the consumer versus how much profit they keep for themselves. Um, and it seems like consumers out-of-pocket costs will be continued to be determined by the drug uh, coverage benefits. So I just want to say here that uh, we should limit our expectations um, and not uh, you know, be expecting uh, too much. Okay, and next I want to ask you, why is CBS revamping its system? Yeah, well, it, it seems like high drug prices uh, are among Americans' top complaints. Um, I mean, the pharma pharmaceutical supply chain is under pressure from public officials as well. We've seen that. Uh, and, you know, there are competitors to CVS who are also trying to lower their costs. So there's that factor as well. And at the same time, the, the CEO uh, has said um, as well that they have to make changes 
because consumers are demanding it, uh, the government is demanding it as well. So there is some level of pressure here. Lawmakers have harshly criticized uh, this current system uh, where middlemen and negotiators are involved. Uh, there was actually a Senate hearing earlier on this exact topic earlier this year. There was a lot of denunciation on the current system uh, with uh, middlemen and, and negotiators. Um, so it seems like CVS had to do something here with all the pressure mounting on them. Um, I mean, it, it is a right step in the, in the correct direction, but it remains to be seen whether this is just going to be lip service or whether it's actually going to help consumers uh, with prices. Yeah, I know the drug pricing system is super complicated, so thank you for helping us understand that a little bit better. What else is happening in the business world? Uh, sure. Seems like Tucker Carlson is launching his own subscription streaming service. Uh, the service is going to be called Tucker Carlson Network and is expected to go live today. This is according to the Wall Street Journal, citing people familiar with the matter. The network will have five different shows uh, to begin with, uh, including interviews, uh, short form videos and monologues. It's going to cost $9 a month or $72 a year, and it's going to initially be solely available through Carlson's website. And some of the content will be accessible without a subscription and will be ad supported, while some interviews and monologues will be available exclusively to subscribers. And a jury in a federal court is about to decide if Google's efforts to profit from its app store for Android smartphones have been illegally taking advantage of customers and hindering innovation. Lawyers on opposing sides of the trial will present their closing arguments. Uh, this is a three-year-old case filed by the game developer Epic Games, and it is the maker of the popular Fortnite video game. Epic alleges that Google has been exploiting its wealth and control of the Android software. And finally, the U.S. Commerce Department is planning to give $35 million to BAE Systems. This is to boost production of semiconductor chips used in F-35 fighter jets and commercial satellites in New Hampshire. This announcement is part of a program called Chips for America, which was approved by Congress in August 2022. The program aims to boost semiconductor manufacturing in the U.S. And this is, of course, to reduce reliance on Asia for chip production. All right. Thank you so much, Don. Thank you. And next up, the Internal Revenue Service has raised the contribution limit to a key employee health care account. Workers will also be able to carry out over more money into the next year. The flexible spending arrangement is a savings account that employees can use for medical expenses. The contributions come from employee wages. The IRS says these accounts will have a $3,200 contribution limit next year. For 2023, the contribution limit was just over 3000 Amounts contributed are not subject to federal income tax, Social Security tax, or Medicare tax. Couples can jointly contribute up to $6,400 for their household. Employers can contribute toward the employee's FSA if the plan allows it. And if you're flying this Christmas, expect some crowds at the airport. AAA forecasts record-setting air travel during the Christmas and New Year's travel periods. Airports could see about 7.5 million passengers between Saturday, December 23rd and Monday, January 1st. 
The roads are also expected to be busy this year. In total, more than 115 million Americans will likely travel over the 10-day period. That's up 2.5 million from last year. AAA says the fact that Christmas and New Year's days are falling on a Monday and will likely increase the number of travelers. And now shifting gears, we have some short headlines from countries in Asia and Oceania. Another dangerous encounter in the South China Sea. The Philippines reported two incidents of aggressive actions by the Chinese Coast Guard over the weekend. The Philippines says Chinese vessels targeted Philippine vessels with water cannon blasts and rammed one of them. Philippine Navy and Coast Guard ships had sailed to deliver supplies to Filipino forces near a disputed shoal. The Chinese regime claims its operations were necessary and in compliance with domestic and international law. Here's what the Philippine side had to say. It's a serious escalation on the part of the agents of the People's Republic of China. The use of water cannons numerous times, long-range acoustic devices or LRADs, as well as other movements against the BIFAR vessels, which caused severe though temporary discomfort and incapacitation to some Filipino crew, as well as dangerous and unsafe maneuvers is completely unacceptable. The Prime Minister of Papua New Guinea says this, his nation is not talking with China on security. The Pacific Islands nation signed a security agreement with its neighbor Australia last week. The Papua New Guinea Prime Minister said when he visited Beijing this year and met with China's leaders, quote, there was no conversation on security. But Papua New Guinea is still seeking to woo foreign investment and trade to boost its economy. The country is discussing a free trade agreement with China. South Korean President Yoon Suk-yeol is on his way to the Netherlands for a state visit. He'll be discussing cooperation on semiconductors and a potential chip alliance. South Korea and the Netherlands are both key players in the global microchip sector. Yoon is due to visit the facilities of ASML, the world's leading manufacturer of advanced chip-making equipment. He said ahead of the visit that boosting cooperation is crucial right now when global competition over technologies is intensifying. The Netherlands has joined the U.S. and Japan in restricting chip exports to China. A U.S. F-16 fighter jet crashed off the coast of South Korea earlier this morning, about 100 miles south of the capital, Seoul. The pilot survived after he ejected from the jet and was later rescued. The crash is stoking concerns over safety following the death of eight U.S. airmen in an Osprey aircraft crash last month off the coast of Japan. And Australia is tightening visa rules for international students and low-skilled workers. The country said today that that decision could cut its immigrant intake in half over the next two years and fix what the government called a broken migration system. Here's more. Australia had boosted its migration numbers after COVID-19 to help businesses fill staffing shortages. However, the sudden surge in students and workers ratcheted up pressure on an already tight rental market, with homelessness on the rise. We are going to make sure that we bring numbers back under control, that we build a better planned system around essential things like housing, and perhaps most importantly of all, that we build a program that delivers for the national interest. O'Neill said the surge was mainly driven by international students, a group that was kept out of the nation for almost two years because of the pandemic. 
Under the new policies, international students would need to score higher on English tests. There would also be more scrutiny if they want to prolong their stay after their studies end. The decision came after net immigration was expected to have peaked at a record 510,000 people between 2022 and 2023. Back to sustainable levels. Prime Minister Anthony Albanese over the weekend said Australia's migrant numbers needed to go back to a, quote, sustainable level. A recent survey for an Australian newspaper showed that almost two-thirds of voters said the country's migration intake was too high. Still, Australia is now one of the world's tightest labour markets and has long relied on immigration to bolster it. The Labour government has pushed to speed up the entry of highly skilled workers and smooth their path to permanent residency. A former doctoral chemistry student is accused of poisoning his neighbours, including a baby girl. NTD's Tiffany Meyer has more on the case and the charges he's facing. A Chinese student accused of poisoning a neighbor deported to China. The student studied at the University of South Florida for his doctoral degree. He's accused of poisoning his neighbor, Umar Abdullah. Six months ago, Abdullah discovered what he described as a funny smell. His infant daughter and wife also experienced unexplained health scares and hair loss. But everything changed when they saw a surveillance video and immediately called the police. The suspect... Li Shuming is a Chinese national. He was caught filling Abdullah's house with a mixture of lethal chemicals using a syringe. Police arrested Li soon after the video was discovered. Abdullah's apartment sits right above Li's, and Li had complained about the noise in the past. Authorities suggest that ties into Li's motivation. Li is facing several felony charges in the U.S., including battery and possession of a controlled substance. Lee's attorney said it's unlikely he will face penalties after being deported, but the charges could be activated if Lee ever makes it back to the U.S. Coming up in baseball, what did Shohei Otani's record contract with Los Angeles have to do with Toronto's World Series odds? NTD's Dave Martin will join us in the studio to discuss. And Carlsberg calls itself the best poured beer in the world, probably. The Danish brewery opens a new attraction at its original 1847 Copenhagen location. We'll take a look here on NTD News Today. And now for your sports news, we're joined by NTD's Dave Martin. Dave, starting with baseball, Shohei Otane agreed to a record uh, $700 million contract with the Los Angeles Dodgers on Saturday. What was your reaction to that? Yeah, I mean, I was stunned. You know, not that he went to the Dodgers, of course, but the $700 million, despite the fact that he's not even going to be able to pitch next year because of an injury. I mean, the second biggest contract in baseball is $425 million. That's like 50% bigger. You know, heading into the season, it seemed like, you know, he was probably going to get $500 million. And then by midseason, it appeared, you know, he was going to win his second straight MVP award. 600 to 700 million wasn't out of the question. Then he gets injured, can't pitch the rest of the season. And it seemed like maybe we're back to 500 million. So I can't imagine what he would have got had he stayed healthy. You know, 800 million? Either way, the Dodgers, I mean, they definitely got the best player in the game. But boy, it really cost them. Now, Dave, on Friday, the day before all this happened, there were reports that he was on his way to Toronto to sign with the Blue Jays. What happened there? 
Yeah, you know, uh, he, there was a report that he was taking a private jet there. In fact, it was so credible that there were a whole bunch of bets being placed on Toronto to win the World Series. So much so that at, be that at Bet MGM Sportsbooks, they raised their odds of winning the World Series from like 15 to 1 all the way up to 8 to 1. Now, as it turned out, the private jet people thought he was actually on was for someone from the show Shark Tank instead. It was, you know, I, I don't blame people for jumping on the bandwagon, though. I mean, his whole free agency has really been shrouded in secrecy. There had been rumors he was interested in Toronto, but maybe the, maybe the Blue Jays didn't have a $700 million offer for him, though. We don't know. There was a big day in football yesterday, today, with the Buffalo Bills and Dallas Cowboys getting some big wins. How do you see these wins shifting the balance, balance of power in each conference? Well, you know, Dallas definitely seems like they're back on track. They're now tied with San Francisco and Philadelphia for the best wreck in the NFC. The Niners, they look great as well. Philly, I'm not sure what to make of them. They, they have a great record, but they've had so many close wins, I thought they'd be a little bit more dominant. Now, Buffalo had a great win, a much-needed win at Kansas City. They look like they're back in the playoff hunt. I'm actually more concerned about the Chiefs. You know, their wide receivers uh, have struggled a bit. Yesterday, it was kind of on full display, you know. It seems like um, if, Pat if the Chiefs are going to win the World Series, Patrick Mahomes is definitely going to need a lot more help on offense. But we still have several games left before that happens. Dave, as always, thanks for joining us. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Dave. And next up, when someone shows interest in natural health, the first question is often, where do I start? Gina Marie from Strong Mind and Body has some ideas. Organic food is expensive and there are so many supplements out there. So where do you start when it comes to natural health? The good news is that there are some easy and inexpensive steps almost anyone can take. Let's start with number one, drink lots of good water. Aim to drink lots of good water every day, ideally spring water. Check out the website findaspring.com to find a spring near you. Stay away from tap water, it's toxic and fluoridated. If plain water is too boring, make some cranberry and stevia lemonade with fresh lemons and pure bottled cranberry juice. The lemon and cranberry help to flush out toxins and balance the body's pH. It can also provide you with electrolytes and other nutrients. Number two, eat more fresh raw produce. Consider eating a huge salad daily. Make rice and beans and add avocados, tomatoes, cilantro, onions, and shredded carrots on top. If you eat soup, add shredded and diced vegetables right before eating. When you snack, choose fruits and vegetables. Number three, avoid GMOs. Soy should not be consumed unless first fermented and not genetically modified. Over 99% of the soy we consume is terrible for our health. Soy naturally has enzyme inhibitors that wreak havoc on our hormones. The way Asians were eating it for thousands of years included fermentation. This nullifies the enzyme inhibitors. Number four, avoid refined foods. Your food should give you nutrition, but refined foods rob your body of nutrition. This goes for white flour, white sugar, high fructose corn syrup, and almost any other refined food. Eat whole foods which have all of their nutrition. A Danish brewery has a new attraction at its original 1847 Copenhagen location. Ads have long called the Carlsberg Brew best poured beer in the world, probably. And TD's Andrew Thomas has more on enjoying a cold one in Denmark. Over 200,000 visitors are expected to swing by home of Carlsberg in 2024. 
Danish beer brewer Carlsberg opened the attraction on December 1st. The site is at the original Copenhagen Brewery, first opened in 1847 by founder J.C. Jacobson. This place is the brand new Carlsberg bar. So this is where we showcase the Carlsberg brand and where of course you can get the best poured beer in the world, probably. The vast exhibit explores the history of the 175-year-old brewer, including the rivalry between J.C. Jacobson and his son, Carl. When you enter the exhibition, you will of course get an introduction to the history. So it's the two brewers, it's the father, it's the son. We kind of take you through the dispute that those two had for quite, quite a long time where they didn't actually talk to each other. Elsewhere, the exhibit explores the science of brewing beer. Visitors can even try to brew their own. Uh, we also take a deep dive down in, uh, in science because there's a lot of science behind brewing beers and today science is still a huge part of the Carlsberg DNA. Uh, it's a very interactive exhibition so we invite for you to, to try some different games. One highlight of the attraction is this basement beer collection. The cellar features over 22,000 bottles. Carlsberg says it's the fifth largest collection of its kind. Uh, they are from all over the world and we have decided to collect all the bottles that we can so you will experience also brands that is not within the Carlsberg family of, uh, of brands. So it's, it's a very nice experience. Many brewers have popped up since 1847, but Carlsberg has a special place in Danish drinking culture and generations to come will be able to experience this piece of national heritage. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Europeans are dressing up as Santa for Christmas runs. Let's take a look at two unique events from the weekend. In Germany, nearly 1,000 runners donned Santa suits from the country's biggest costume run. These Santas in training are from the northern city of Mischendorf. The event celebrated Christmas spirit with carol singing and mulled wine stands along the way. Some of the runners have been attending for several years. They can choose between various routes ranging from less than a mile to six miles. The event is popular with different fitness levels as well as the young and young at heart. Not to be outdone, in the capital of Hungary, another group braved the cold in red swimsuits and Santa hats for the 20th annual Budapest Naked Santa Run. Despite the cold, the runners stayed warm by keeping their energy up. They made pit stops for exercises, jumping and dancing, spreading holiday cheer. Participation fees were donated to a foundation that supports families raising premature babies with disabilities. The event was inspired by a similar event in Boston and has become a Budapest tradition. A chess grandmaster made history by playing 32 simultaneous time-controlled matches, breaking a national record in his native Cuba. He achieved an impressive result, winning 23 matches, losing three and tying six. He said beyond the personal achievement, he hopes to promote chess to young talent. The matches involved internationally recognized professional chess players as well as members of Cuba's Paralympic chess team. Imagine swimming with a whale. Check out the footage from Perth, the capital of Western Australia, on Saturday. When this large whale ventured into shallow waters, around a dozen swimmers approached and even managed to touch it. The footage has become so popular on social media, people who saw the giant mammal reportedly said they were concerned for the whale's well-being, given its proximity to the shore. 
After around an hour, the whale swam back out to the depths, apparently unfazed by the curious humans. And that's all for today's news. Thank you for tuning in. Feel free to reach out to us with news tips or feedback at news.today at ntd.com. And we'll be back with more stories tomorrow.